good to have you all in this class called Neighboring and Neighborliness. And what I would like to do is I really want to open up in prayer this morning because this, this topic that we're talking about, can somebody fade the music? How do we get the music? Because I'm about to start singing right now. You ready? Are you ready for that? You don't know what you're asking for. <laughs> all right. Oh, he's coming. So the topic that we're going to talk about today, it, it, it may seem like a pretty inviting topic, neighboring and neighborliness, but I'm going to tell you something. It's a little edgy because we got to capture God's heart if we're going to be good neighbors. Amen? And so even before I proceed, uh, I would like to do that. Now, Pastor Al Yano, I'm the church multiplication director for the uh, Ohio Ministry Network. A uh, little background, Paris and I, my wife and I, we pastored, we planted a church in the inner city of Youngstown, I think 15 years ago or so. We also ran a nonprofit uh, in the inner city of Youngstown for 26 years. So I'm speaking from that experience and then traveling all over this state in the last five years. I have with me our assistant director, Tom Baxter, who is also a church planter in Cincinnati, Ohio, at People's Church, and he's going to share. And then we're going we're gonna to go fly over and bring it all the way down for a landing. Barb, Barb Musgrave is going to share about an incredible tool. So we want you to leave with some ideas of how you can be a great neighbor in your community. All right? Father God, we thank you. We praise you for the gift of today. And right now, Lord, we're going to ask you a really difficult request, but you're God and you created the world. Help us to strip away our personal preferences, our personal politics, even theology that's not biblical. Strip it away so we can hear your voice in the next hour. Help us to come to you as a blank slate saying thank you for all you've done in our lives. But right now we want to be a blank slate and we want to capture your heart for our neighbors. In Jesus name. Amen. All right. I hope you agreed with that prayer. I didn't want him to erase your memories. Just make you a blank slate because we're going to talk about some challenging stuff. And I'm just going to open up with the, with the video right now. So we're going to throw this video up and uh, we'll start from there. That's a video from a, a, a group called He Gets Us, and that is a tool that we've been using on the airways of television, especially during sports events, to get people's attention 
to cause them to want to lean in and learn more about Jesus, they go to that website and then it connects them to a local church to have conversations. But as, when I watched that video, I, I don't have a lot of time to do this, but I'm wondering what went through your mind. Anger. Anger. Yeah. Anything else go through your minds? The city. Somebody else? Division. Yeah, yeah, all that was running through my mind. And then, honestly, when I saw this video, I felt the Lord speak to me. I really didn't. He says, why are you so worried about what's going on in your mind? What about how I feel about that? That's what this is all about. It's really not about how our worldview. It's really about how God sees our world and has called you to be his love letter to this world. That's what neighboring and neighborliness is all about. Listen, this is the world that Jesus was born into. Think about Jesus, the world he was born into. He lived in a heavily oppressive society. He grew up a Jew under Roman oppression, right? Romans ruled heavy taxation, unjust penalties for laws on the Jews. There was racism. There was classism. Jews had no rights. The Roman culture was extremely abusive. It was sexually perverted. Read about the Roman culture in the first century. Herod, the leader, was evil. He was corrupt. He was a puppet king. He was known as a murderer and a thug. Herod committed genocide, trying to kill Jesus, right? All these babies, women, they're, they're, the value of women and kids was devalued to the point in that culture they really didn't have a strong voice. Now, we can dig theologically some other time, but I'm just telling you the world that Jesus was born into was not a very welcoming world for the Son of God. And the amazing thing about it is he didn't choose to be born as a Roman. He chose to be born as a Jew. And he began to live his life in a very hostile world. So this is the world that we find ourselves in today. I call it angry America. How many of you believe that America is a little angry right now? I mean, they're angry at everything. Somebody ran me off the freeway the other day, and I found myself wanting to tell them they were number one. But the Spirit of the Lord came over me and caused me to have restraint. But we're living in this, we're living in this charged up culture. And, and the thing that really makes me concerned is that the church is being pulled into the culture wars. We've allowed, and I'm just, I know I may make some of you mad, but you pray for me. But we allowed the, the politics of the last presidential election. We've allowed COVID and how it's handled. And we allowed the, the racial tension caused by, by some of the police shootings. that went. We allowed those things to suck us right into the culture wars. How do I know? Because we had Assembly of God churches that were divided right down the center when COVID took place. Pastors that would come to us and say, I can't win for losing. If I say wear a mask, people say I'm leaving. If I say don't wear a mask, people say I'm leaving. <laughs> and I want to challenge us this morning with the two scriptures that we're going we're to work off today. And I'm going to throw a phrase out here. Biblical neighborliness is the fusion of the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Biblical neighborliness takes those two scriptures. 
Matthew 20, 22, 37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus said. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do we love our neighbor when there's so much, there's so many agendas and so much pressure to conform to the culture? How do we love our neighbors? And then we know the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to springboard in our discussion by laying a statement before you. What typically happens when there's all this pressure in the culture and it creeps into the church is that we begin to view the gospel through the lens of the culture rather than viewing the culture through the lens of the gospel. Are you picking up what I'm saying? So, like, we start to make adjustments based upon our cultural experiences, our upbringing, our theological persuasion, our political party, whatever it is. We start to interpret Scripture through that lens rather than allowing Scripture to tell us how we should live. This is where I say we have to strip some things away. Because if you try to view John 3.16 through the lens of my life experience and my world view, then I'm going to twist John 3.16 to mean what I want it to mean. But Jesus gave us the gospel. And so what I want to do is I want to have a world view where we're looking at the gospel through the lens of we're looking at the culture through the lens of the gospel rather than the gospel through the lens of the culture. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay down some theological foundation of what is the gospel then? I think that is where it all begins. I think we, in some cases, we don't really understand the gospel. So I'm going to break this down theologically, and I'm not that deep, so you don't have to get worried. Like, I'm really a shallow guy, but I can handle God's word. And, uh, and then Tom's going to bring this to practicality, and then Barb is going to land the plane by giving us a tool. Are you ready for the ride? Yes. All right, so go to John 3.16. And, and we can quote it in this room, but we're just going to start with the first two words. For God. I want to talk to you about the ways of Jesus. I'm going to give you five gospel dynamics. I call them the ways of Jesus, a theological framework. We're going to start with this phrase, for God. And the first way we're going to talk about is the way of lordship. The gospel is powerful because it is centered on the lordship and supremacy of Christ. I hope they got that up there. It's centered on the lordship and supremacy of Christ for God. Now, the reason this is so important is we must approach life from a biblical-centric worldview or a Jesus-centric worldview. I think everybody in this room would say amen to that, right? But when Jesus has to start trying to work through how we interpret the signs of the times then we're not approaching it from a Jesus-centered worldview. And so it's so simple. Like, let, let's just take one of the hot-button things. Like, you're sitting, in your, you're sitting in your church, and COVID hits, and it's, you know, mask and all that mandates going on. In your mind, you're thinking, nobody can tell me what to do. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. 
I serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This, this governor can't tell me what to do. If that's your mindset, the best thing you could do is go to Jesus and say, what do you want me to do? And if I'm sitting next to Tom and Tom's wearing a mask, Jesus would have me look at Tom and say, how can I love you better as my neighbor? Period. I knew I was making people mad. No amens on that one. It's the lordship of Jesus. And it all, it's so simple. All we got to do is say, Jesus, what do you want me to do in this situation? I know what I want to do. I want to knock somebody out. I want to I pick it. I want to do whatever. But really, when you're in the middle of the culture wars, proclaim the lordship of Jesus. Let's go on to the next one. I'm just laying theology. I got to behave. A couple questions here, though, real quick. Am I surrendered to God's will? And his way or my will and my way? Am I listening and responding to the voice of God or the voice of popular opinion? Am I being led by the Spirit or am I being led by my own feelings? The Lordship. Number two, for God so loved the world. Everybody say the world. The way of radical love. The way of radical love. The gospel is powerful because it's driven by sacrificial love. Love not just for those that are like us, but love for all people. Not just ordinary love, sacrificial love. The word that's powerful in John 3.16 is that two-letter word, so. Because when you read so loved, you ask the question, how did Jesus love? And we know that he loved by giving his life. And the Romans says he gave his life for those while we were yet what? Sinners. He gave his life for those that were hostile to him. So this love is not this wishy-gushy love. It's sacrificial love. It's, it's the kind of love that goes the extra mile. It's not only sacrificial, it's radical love. It's the kind of love that says, God so loved the world. And when he says the world, he means the world. Nobody gets left out from God's love. I am so driven. I'm a missions-minded person. I, I, I really love world missions. And I also know that world missions begins where I live. <laughs> the, the Good Samaritan parable, the, the, the Pharisee asked the question, who is my neighbor? Why did he ask that question? Because he wanted permission to decide who and when he would love. <laughs> The Jews did not like the Samaritans. So Jesus pulls out that parable. And he says, I'm going to tell you who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is the person next door who keeps letting their dog do his business on your lawn. That's your neighbor. And your neighbor is the person across the street who's a totally different ethnicity than you, that you don't understand their world and you don't really care to. That's still your neighbor. Hello? <laughs> And your neighbor is the person that votes Republican when you vote Democrat. That's your neighbor. If you like Donald Trump, Joe Biden is your neighbor. I'm sorry he is. If you like Joe Biden, Donald Trump is your neighbor. He's saying nobody should be left out. And that really challenges me to, to decide whether I'm truly loving my neighbor the way Jesus did. And I remember when we started our church, we started our church in the inner city of Youngstown. 
And uh, some of you guys are from Metro. When we started that church, there was a very large violent crime problem. There was a lot of gangs in the neighborhood. There's a lot of poverty in the neighborhood. There still is today. There's a lot of things going on in that neighborhood. And uh, I was looking to build this core team. And I, I was like, God, I need people that, have, that can tithe. I need people that are like stable, that can you know, help me disciple all these folks. And, and God spoke to, I think it was you, Carl. He spoke to one of our pastors and he said, and he spoke it out in a prayer meeting. He said, God told me if we'll love and accept the people that nobody wants, then he'll send us the people that everybody wants. And that's exactly what happened at our church. We began to love the people in our neighborhood, difficult, challenging situations, and people would begin to come because they love the vision. And uh, so we need to love radically and sacrificially. Number three, that he gave his one and only son. The way of grace. Oh my Lord, if there's ever a time that we need grace, and grace has a name, Jesus. The gospel is powerful because it tells us of God's amazing grace towards us. Not a single one of us in this room deserve God's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. None of us deserve it. But all of us have received it. The Lord is asking us to love our neighbors by leaning into the culture wars and bringing the grace of God. That's, that's tough stuff. But that's what he's calling us to do, exercising grace. I got to tell you a story. I'm still online with my time, so quick story. I remember several years ago, maybe it was two or three, there was a police shooting and it was a young female police officer. Her name was Amber Geiger. Anybody remember that story? She walked into the wrong apartment. And somebody, uh, I think it was, it was his name, Gotham, Botham. He was eating ice cream or something on the couch. Botham Jean. And she thought somebody was in her apartment. She, she shot him and killed him. And the whole world went crazy. You know, what's going on? And there was all kinds of stuff that was going on. But at the sentencing hearing, she was there. And his brother, Brant, I don't have time to show the video, but his brother asked to speak and address her. And, and he stood up and he began to address her. And the first thing he said to her was, I forgive you. And then he spoke into her life, and he, says, and, and he said a couple other things, and then he asked the judge, can I give her a hug? You've got to watch this video. The judge lets him get, go and give her a hug, which you're not allowed to do in the courtroom. You can't have the victim's family hugging the accused. And he got out and he hugged her, and when they embraced, the, like you could see her shake with you know, just this release of shame and stuff. And then it wasn't over when, by the time he got done hugging her, the judge came off the uh, stand, walked up to the table, and spoke into her life. Now, this was an African-American judge, and told her about the grace of God. Paused the whole thing, went and got a Bible out of her office and gave it to her and says, you're going to need this. Even though you're being sentenced to prison, I want you to know, there's grace for you. That's powerful, isn't it? You got to look that up. Okay, I got to keep going. Okay, number four, that whosoever believes in him, the way of extraordinary faith, 
The gospel is powerful because it inspires courageous faith. It's not enough just to believe that God who he is who he says he is. It requires us to take courageous action to do what God wants us to do. Now, I need to just take a, take a moment here to say what extraordinary courageous faith activity does God want from us in this room? When we begin to look at what's going on in the culture and look what's going on in our schools and look what's going on around us, the temptation is to go into our church buildings to withdraw and to pray and to ask God to change it. What would happen if we were the answer to our prayers? <laughs> if God would say, faith without works is useless. So I'm going to wrap my, my portion up real quick here by telling you a quick story. Um, it, was, it was during the, the uh, situation where the last police shooting took place during COVID. I think it was 2020. And uh, there had been riots all over the nation. And here in Columbus, there were riots in downtown. And, and it was the weekend of a, a March for Jesus. And we couldn't do the march because of COVID. But we got a group of people together said, let's walk through the streets of Columbus. We went downtown and we started praying through the streets of Columbus. We had a young African-American police officer who was with us and her family. We had a Hispanic brother. We had a couple of Caucasian people, my wife and I. We walked through the streets and started praying and found ourselves in the middle, in the middle of the um, Black Lives Matter rally that was going on. And maybe there's a picture there. And when we walked into that rally, I felt like the Lord saying to me, this is where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Amen. And I was like, what do you mean I'm supposed to be? Like, this could be really out of control. But we began to walk the streets. And I want to tell you something. There were not angry people at that rally. There were families at that rally. There were every ethnicity at that rally. And they were walking the streets. See if you guys can find the picture. And we walked through the streets and we began to pray for the people in the rally. We would just stand on a street corner and start praying. And in the middle of the rally, the other thing I want to tell you is they were like sheep without a shepherd. There was no leader. They didn't really have direction. But we walked into the middle of the rally and we began to pray. And as we began to pray, these two girls came. I lifted my head and they were in our circle praying with us. And I looked and I said, why are you here? And they said, well, we're, we're angry. We're downtown here because we're angry. We've experienced racism in many ways. And we're just, we don't know. We're just overwhelmed. We're not angry. We're broken. And we're here because expressing that. And I said, that's great. But why are you in this circle? <laughs> and they said, because you guys have the answer. And, and we began to pray for them. And those girls, I, we had their picture. I'm not sure if they can find it. If not, but at the end of the circle, we're hugging on these girls and they're standing with us. We got to lead two people to Christ in the middle of that rally. Yes. And, and that's where God wants his church to be. He wants us to exercise faith and not be intimidated to go into dark places or difficult places and minister the gospel. And the final thing is... Uh, shall not perish but have everlasting life. The Lord wants us to, the, the way of eternity, the gospel is powerful because it calls us to live for eternity, not just today. We're going to throw up another video here, and we're going to, Tom's going to help us unpack this thing practically. So go ahead and show that second video.
so we want to change the trend from cancel culture to connected culture. When you start believing the lie that you've been canceled, you feel like you're uh, written off, like you're a victim, but can I tell you you're not the victim, you're the victor today? Yes, yes. Can I tell you if the church buys into the lie of what the enemy is trying to lead us into, we're going to feel weak and ineffective, that we have no voice, but the Holy Spirit gives us a voice. Amen? And there's people in our communities, our neighbors, who feel canceled today, and if you recognize that God wants you to make a connection with them, that can change everything. In fact, spirit-empowered love in action can reverse cancel culture. That's right. That's good. Spirit-empowered love in action can reverse cancel culture. Because the same feelings that you're experiencing are the same feelings that your neighbor is experiencing. And so we want to connect with them and show them the love of Jesus. I love uh, the book When Helping Hurts. I highly recommend that if you're especially working with people who are living below the poverty line. But uh, they define poverty. What is the underlying cause of poverty? It's that the fall messed up the four foundational relationships that God established for mankind. Relationships with God, with self, with others, and with creation. And so, so what the world needs more than anything is relationships, right? People need to be connected with other people. And so when, when we begin to connect with our neighbor, when we begin to connect with people in our community, what, what we're doing, we could actually be the spark that brings about generational change. Simple acts of love can set into motion generational change. Yeah. Not only can it, can it take away the spiritual poverty that exists and bring abundance and life in Jesus, but when people experience a second life in Jesus, they should also have a second chance in society. Amen? Yeah. And so when we begin to connect with people and connect them with Jesus and the family of God, we also connect them to social capital that exists within the body of Christ so that people can get the mentoring, the coaching, the job opportunities, etc. that they need. Love isn't, isn't an ideal, everyone, right? I think we got, got that. But what I loved about that video, did you see that, you know, is uh, AI was working on giving us images of love. You know, it's like hearts, right? We're all, we all got that figured out, Valentine's Day, right? But sometimes um, our Christian love is just kind of theoretical. It's good. Uh, oh, we love all people. Our church is welcoming. Everyone can come in, right? But how many of you know, if, you, if you're married or dating someone or whatever, love better be a lot more than theoretical, right? Uh, lo love is an action, and so it's, it's an actual, a tangible expression. When you love someone, you actually do something for the person that you're expressing love for. And so as Christians, we've got to do uh, 
We've got to make love practical. It says this in James chapter 1, verse 22. It says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Boy, I don't know about you, but this challenge to love my neighbor as myself, I think there's a lot of times I've been fooling myself, right? Because there hasn't been action uh, behind that love. Here's some ways that love is expressed. Hospitality, listening, gifts, sacrifice, service, prayer, and words. And I'm sure you can think of, you know, other examples. Um, but uh, I want to just for a second, and so much of my church experience, you know, you plan an outreach event. Are you guys all familiar with planning an outreach event? And what, throw out some thoughts. Give me, give me an example of an outreach event. All right, Fall Fest. That's a great title, Fall Fest. Yeah, fireworks, Easter eggs, Harvest Palooza, right? And how many of you, you've been worn out from an outreach event that you went through, right? You're planning, you're trying to get volunteers, you wake up early, put on the big event, right? And then you're exhausted the next day, and uh, you know, you get together with your, your leaders, and, and then you realize, we didn't even have any like contact cards to follow up with people. Have you ever been there before, right? And you had a great connection with someone, but there's no way to make a connection again. Uh, you know, there's, there's just, I think we need to rethink the way we approach outreach because outreach always has a name. Just like Grace has a name and his name is Jesus, outreach has a name and the name of the outreach is your neighbor, right? Right. You know, your neighbor can be a stranger. Literally, you might not know the person who lives two or three doors down from you. But Jesus also defined the stranger as a neighbor, right? Yeah. And so what we want to do is uh, connect with, with people. And so I want to just share uh, a, a little strategy of making um, connections. Before I do that, uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 16 says, Giving a gift can open doors. It gives access to important people. Your neighbor's important, amen? Yes. <laughs> and and uh, I love that gift. That's an expression of love. Um, praying for someone in the moment for the need they have is a gift that's given. Speaking kind words or encouraging someone else is a gift that's given. Right? It could be a tangible item, but that opens up someone's heart and allows them to hear the good news of Jesus. Quality connections with people is the primary goal of outreach. Learn names, stories, and needs, and then follow up. All right, here's a strategy and, and uh, some experiences uh, that, that I've had. First thing you want to do is um, connect with people, right? And that connection, um, meeting someone is not a connection. Does everyone have that connection? There's, there's actual vulnerability. You're looking someone in the eyes. Uh, you get to know their name. You're, you're asking them questions. It's a great way to be, be an active listener, right? And, and you're like totally dialed in and tuned. Someone knows if you're paying attention to them or not, right? The best illustration of that is when you see a, a mom or a dad who's kind of paying attention to a kid but not really. You know, the kid just goes and does their own thing. You could be so worried about 
shooting off the next firework or putting out the 500 eggs, right, that you miss, that the primary goal of that outreach is to make a connection with people. And that's the last thing that you want to do. And so a connection is a, a true uh, connection. And now that we have phones in our pockets, a great thing to do when you walk away from a connection with a neighbor, someone in your community, in your town, pull out your phone and write that name down, right? Because you might forget later, right? You want to write that name down, write down a detail. Hey, she told me she lived here. Write down a story or maybe you prayed, but you want to fully uh, take advantage of that. Then the next thing is to connect again. Now, this, this gets really challenging. If you're hosting, if the only way that you do outreach is hosting events, you're probably not going to see those people what? again. And so really uh, what we want to do is either make connections with our actual physical neighbors because you can connect what again or we want to meet people where they live right? So knocking on a door of an apartment complex getting to know someone making a connection with them writing down their name their story guess what you can do you can go back and connect again and people love that when you follow up and say something specific about their life or what you remember about that interaction, boy, that is so meaningful. And this, this really begins a relationship, right? Which is what we really want with people. What do people need? Relationship, right? Relationship with Jesus and relationship with others. And this is what loves all about. So you return, you make that connection again, and then check this out, connect to others. This is when you really got something going on. Hey, I'm having a barbecue in my backyard. I'm inviting several friends. Would you like to join us? Listen, what, what, what Jesus wants to do in someone's life is bigger than just how God's going to use you. He can also use the other people who know Christ in your church, your family, and it just kind of gives the sense that that person belongs. So this could be at, at your house. One of the things that we did uh, as a church plant when we were connecting with people at apartment complexes, we were following up, we were getting to know people. Instead of hosting an event, a block party at the park, we hosted it at the apartment complex. And so all of a sudden, the neighbors who we knew right? Tashara, Miss Paula, Damien, Casey, right? Just all the neighbors. I got all these people running through my mind. They come outside of their apartment and there's a party happening, right? And, and we're able to connect them with other people in the church. And so they start uh, getting excited about that and building uh, relationships. Um, the, the resource coordinator at our school came to faith in Jesus, her name's Nikki, um, uh, through some of the connections we had. So imagine we're, we're ministering to people in an apartment complex. We throw a block party. Nikki shows up. Nikki um, knows the kids. You see how those connections start happening, and then things really start moving. Then connect to resources, best practices. So especially if someone's living below the poverty line, or maybe it's just a neighbor in an affluent community, things happen, right? Tree branches fall down. There, you know. Hey, I've got a chainsaw that I could, you know, help you with. Or, or, but really, just 
like Care Portal is something that we've used. It's the best practice to, to meet needs in homes and to care for people who are doing kinship care, stepping out to foster, or maybe they're um, on the verge of having their kids taken away because they don't have resources in their home. Then we start, oh, hey, Tashara, we want to help you with, you know, Care Portal because we know that you struggle with mental illness and your kids, you know, are on the verge of being taken away by the system. And you just start connecting those dots. And what you're doing is you're just wrapping someone around in love, right? Like, wow, what's going on? Just think about these multiple touches, multiple ways, just like a big hug around their life. And then finally connect them to the church. Now, they're, they're, this order might change, right? You might have this great connection with someone and they might actually come to the church. Don't believe the lie that, that you've completed your assignment if they come to church. Connect again, connect them to others, and connect them uh, to resources. Most of the people who uh, got involved at, at our church plant, we had, and it was funny, the strategy I'm putting down, this is in hindsight, like, oh, well, I realize this is what was happening. But we have between four and seven touches with people where they lived before they came to church. One woman named Connie, I think I had like 17 interactions with her before she set foot at church. <laughs> she came on a, on a Sunday, one Easter at the park and gave her life to Jesus, right? And it's just fun to to follow up. And so um, as we, we talk about neighboring and neighborliness and loving people and doing outreach, it's all about connection. And we, when we begin to um, really build that relationship, everything changes. I'm gonna, we're going to watch a video and then Barb's going to come and share about LifeWise. have heard of LifeWise Academy? Quite a few hands, but quite a few that haven't. Um, 
if, if, if we are going to truly live out the great commandment and the great commission in our community, this is one tool that fits in in a very, very practical way and, and reaches our young people, our children, for the Lord. Um, if we could this, take a look at this first slide, lifewise.org. Um, jot that down. Most of what I'm going to share this morning about what LifeWise is and how to get a LifeWise program started within your local um, school can be found on this website as well. It's chocked full of information, tons of videos that are very inspirational. Um, take a look at it. There's a whole lot there, lifewise.org. Um, in reality, in 1952, the Supreme Court ruled that public school students can receive Bible education during school hours as long as it's off school property, privately funded, and you have parental permission. And so many of us, myself included, were totally unaware of that. And, but it's possible, and it's not only possible, possible but it's spreading in a big way. And but the bottom line is students' lives are being changed as a result of this. Joel Penton um, is the founder and the C CEO of LifeWise. Um, LifeWise itself actually started in 2018, and it's a release time religious instruction program. Again, that's been possible for a lot of years, but we're, we just haven't been aware. And it provides Bible-based education to public school students. And we believe RTRI is the single greatest missed opportunity to reach the next generation with the Word of God. And there, again, very few people are even aware of that op opportunity. I know Pastor Al in Paris, when they were in Youngstown, and um, he talked about their nonprofit, HeartReach, they, they had an RTRI program there, and I believe reached five, maybe five within yeah. five school systems. Okay, so. Um, Joel Penton is actually from Van Wert, and Van, in Van Wert they began an RTRI program in 2012. Now it wasn't LifeWise, but it was a program teaching Bible within the public school system, and they anticipated just in looking at the makeup of their community that they would probably have 30% that would be enrolled because of the, the way the community was and the churches and so forth. But by the end of year one, they had 60% enrolled, and by the end of year three, 95 of their students were enrolled in, in their program. Now that program is still up and running and doing well, and um, but then in um, in 2018, Joel Penton became involved in it, and we started our first LifeWise program. And LifeWise was started so that the community can more easily begin RTRI programs. There's a lot to coming up with your own curriculum, knowing what the laws are. Um, and it can be very overwhelming, but with LifeWise, you don't have to recreate the wheel. They've done the work. They've, they have the curriculum. They've gone through the legalities of it, and it just it gives you tools. LifeWise gives you tools and removes as many barriers as possible and makes it much easier just to plug into that, that program. 
Um, I, I mentioned that LifeWise itself was started in 2018. They started with two programs, two schools. In 2019, there were five schools. In 2020, there were eight schools that were involved. And they, they kind of thought, okay, let's do 25 schools by 2025. That's a catchy phrase, a good goal. Uh, it's obtainable. Well, by 2021, they had 36 schools enrolled in the program. And, and as of last week, the latest stats that I saw, March of 2023, were up to 132 schools that are involved in this program now. And there's also been talk, most of these schools are in Ohio. We have reached into Indiana. But I also, in talking with our director, she said they've had interest from seven other states that would like to also um, become involved and find out how to go about this. So, and the, the bottom line is it's wonderful that these schools are involved, but these schools represent children, lots and lots of children that are hearing the gospel and learning about Jesus. So I think I have a slide. Okay, let's look at that one. Um, the LifeWise, um, overriding LifeWise pledge, what our goal is, uh, number one, we strive to be gospel-centered. Number two, we're also character-focused. Number three, we want to be local church-driven. Four, plug-and-play, that means they provide the curriculum and you, everything you need to get, get started. And then also, we want it to be for the nations. We want this to be a coast-to-coast -coast thing, eventually, okay? And they also strive for excellence in all we do. We represent the king of the universe, and we want our program and, and what we're doing with the children, we want it to be done in an excellent manner. Um, we believe that all students can benefit from the message of the Bible and endeavor to make all instruction relatable and helpful to those children without any church background whatsoever or any Christian background. Uh, we serve alongside educators by reinforcing and complementing their efforts. And we're also very careful about adhering to federal, state, and district policies. And yet, we're very flexible in coordinating with school officials. LifeWise provides a practical way for community members to positively impact the rising generation, the next generation coming up. There are basically 10 steps to starting a LifeWise program. Steps one through three, um, these are known as the, the interest, in, interest phase. And um, the very first step that you need to make is to collect 50 signatures so that they know the community is behind it, that, that there is community interest. Then number two, you join a kickoff call or a kickoff meeting. Number three, you raise $500, which is just the initial launch fee. There's more fundraising that's done beyond that uh, later. Then steps um, four through six is the planning phase. You form a steering committee, which is made up of three to seven members representing three or more churches within your community. Again, they want to know that there's community backing, community involvement. Number five, you draft a plan. Number six, you obtain school approval. So you don't even approach the school until you have some things lined up. 
So you've got your ducks in a line before you go and approach the school. Number seven through nine is the execution phase. You recruit your team, which includes your local director and a volunteer board, your teachers, your volunteers, if you need a bus driver, your bus drivers. Number eight, you train your team, and that's done in person and also online. And then you execute your plan, and the final step is to go live. That's when you launch, you actually launch your program. And LifeWise walks with you through each and every one of these steps and guides you in the process. One of the first questions I had um, when I was approached to see if I would be interested in being a teacher was um, what, what about the curriculum? I wanted to look at the curriculum and see what, what they were teaching, what the curriculum taught. And the students are taught the truth of the gospel and how it transforms lives as revealed throughout scripture. They have a licensing agreement with the Gospel Project and we take students through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation throughout the program, the time that they're in the program, and we also look at character education principles through the program. Now, character education is a big deal in the school systems, and they're going to do that. One way or another, there's going to be character education. If we can have that be biblical, um, why not? Why not take advantage of that? So if we can approach it from a biblical perspective, all the better. Our approach um, is a head, heart, and hands approach. Head being the information of the Bible story. Heart is applying it to the heart. How does this connect to Jesus and the gospel? Every week after we teach the lesson or the look at the Bible story, we want the kids to figure out what the Jesus connection is. What does this have to do with, with Jesus um, what is the Jesus connection? And then our hands, how does this transform what we do and say on a daily basis? So those are, those are the focuses. Those are the things, our approach uh, for reaching the students. And, and a lot of people wonder how it fits into the public school system. Um, there are a number of ways, and LifeWise will work with you to figure that out for your particular school. Generally, um, and the easiest way to begin is to start with your elementary program. Um, and they, in that, they are able to work through the specials that the students have. They have art and music and gym and library. Um, and our school, my particular school that I'm involved in, uh, they had two music classes to make up the five days, so they had a special each day. We simply took one of those music classes and the kids could choose to go to LifeWise for Bible t training, Bible teaching, instead of going to that second music class. So that's, that's and they'll work with you, whatever, uh, whatever you need to do in, in order to figure that uh, scheduling out. So those are basic, that's just basically how to begin a LifeWise program, and there's lots more on the website. And I just wanted to share a little bit also about my personal experience. Um, our program, or, or looking for 
signatures, doing that first step, those 50 signatures, that began in March of 2022, that they began to get signatures. And our opening day for LifeWise at our, our rural school wasn't until October 3rd. 2022. So it was it was a seven-month process, preparation time of getting ready to launch the program. And um, I had served the particular school that I, I serve in. It's Hardin Northern, one of our very small rural schools. I've served as a substitute teacher there. And the end of last year, the superintendent's wife approached me and asked if I would be interested in being a LifeWise Academy teacher. And I didn't even know what it was. So I, you know, I told her I would think about it. Um, and I began to check out the information online and ask some questions. But I couldn't, I couldn't ignore the stirring in my heart at, the, at what I saw and the idea of being able to teach Bible within the public school system. So over the summer in July, I was contacted again, and I, I said, yes, I'd be very interested in that. So I did all that you need to do, application, and all that you need to do to be accepted into the program as a teacher. And at the same time, the church that had opened its doors to us, because you have to be off of school property, there was no place um, right next to the school that we could meet, but there was a church that opens, opened its doors to us as a location. And when we were in the planning process, we met with the board from that church, and they were so excited because they saw this. They'd been praying for an opportunity to reach out into the community in, in new ways, in more ways. They felt like they weren't reaching out in the community, and they were really they felt like this was an answer to prayer, and they were so, so excited. Because that church is about four miles away from our school, we also had to have a bus. So we purchased a bus and had to have that painted and decaled. And that was a, I don't have time today, but that was a miracle too, the way that all transpired. Through the planning process, we found out, um, we wound up with four different teachers. We had about 20 volunteers that wanted to help with the program. And that actually enables us to have two different volunteers for each class. Now, because we didn't want to ignore any of those volunteers, we wanted to use them all. So it's not even a matter of they take a day, they take one class and serve as a volunteer. And because our uh, drive is about a six minute drive from the school to the church back and forth. Our volunteers go down and pick the students up in their classrooms, take them on the bus, and while they're traveling that six minute ride to the church, they practice memory verses with them, they sing with them, they review the Bible stories, they take attendance. So by the time they get to the church, we're ready to teach. So we, we don't waste any minutes. Our, our time is limited, so we don't waste any, any minutes. And they're a great blessing, our, our volunteers are. Our classes run from approximately 9.15 to 11.15, Monday through Friday. And each class, by the time they get there, each class winds up only being about 25 minutes to a half hour. So you really have to make 
good use of your time. And I teach on Wednesday and Thursday, and I get to teach second, third, fifth, and sixth graders. And it is just a joy. I love it. It's, it's really, um, I'm just so excited and so thankful to be a part. We have, we have LifeWise for first through sixth grade at this point. There are some that also have for middle school, and then there are even a couple high school programs. I'm sure the scheduling is a little trickier with uh, middle school and high school, but it is possible. Um, we started, this, this is exciting, we started with 63 students. Now remember, we're a little school. We only have 170 students in first through sixth grade. But we started with 63 students in October, our very first day, and we now have 125 that come to LifeWise. So that's better than 73% of our of our elementary kids that come to LifeWise. So we are just thrilled. And, we're, and our, this is our first year. So we're really hoping that that will continue to spread. And um, each week, we try to include a session starter, which kind of get, gets the kids up and moving, a little active, that has to do with the Bible lesson. We have a giant timeline that shows them where we are somewhere from Genesis to Revelation, and we do it chronologically. We move through the Bible chronologically. We teach our Bible story, uh, often using the actual scripture. We want them to know that the Bible is the word of God. And, and then uh, also there are videos available to help tell the stories if you want to use those periodically. We always point to the Jesus connection with each story. How is this tied to Jesus. How does this connect to Jesus, our Lord and our Savior? And then also, how can we live it out? Um, we, we stress that every, every um, day as well. Each week, we also have a LifeWise character quality, like gratitude or respect or obedience, those types of things that ties into the lesson. And then we have an activity or some type of review that ties it all together. And the curriculum provides you plenty of options to choose from. They give you more than enough. You just, as a teacher, go through and choose what you would like to do with them for that week. We end by taking prayer requests and praises, and then we pray together before we dismiss them. My older kids, most recently, the fifth and the sixth graders, um, just thrills my heart. They used to give requests. I used to pray. And now they're raising their hand, and they're wanting to pray. They're volunteering to pray. And this is, they're with their classmates. You know, and they're willing to step out and do that, and it just thrills my heart. And then we send them home with an activity page, which reinforces what we've taught, and also a recap card that they can put on the keychain and share with their parents or other students or other people, so um, we do that as well. Our very first lesson is what is the Bible, and then we teach through Genesis to Revelation. We, re we try very hard to be mindful of the fact that we have a great variety of students. Some know nothing at all about the Bible. They've never, they've never heard the Bible. They didn't at Christmas. They didn't know who Joseph and Mary were. Um, you know, just basic things. So we are mindful of that. And then, then some who are very involved in their local church, and they love to jump in and help tell the story, give details, and, and that's, that's a good thing as well. Just to give you an idea, um, we were talking about Abraham a few weeks back, and 
one of my younger kids raised their hands and said, are you talking about Abraham Lincoln? So I mean, that's, that's where we're at. And so I said, that is a really good question. I'm glad you've asked that. And then explained um, you know, that we were talking much further back in history than that. So um, most recently, we gave our sixth graders Bibles. And one of the boys said he was from a, a church home. He said, I have this Bible. Would it be OK if I take it? There's a, a student in our class that wants to be a part of LifeWise and hasn't been able to yet. Could I take this and give it to him since I already have it? And I said, absolutely. You know, take it and give it to him. That's that's wonderful. So, uh, and I need to tie this up real quick. So, um, what we are endeavoring to do is living out the Great Commandment and the Great Commission in our community. And this is a program they've done the the legwork. I mean, there are things you have to do, but they've done the hard work. And it is such a blessing. There are a variety of ways that you could become involved in this ministry. You could be instrumental in getting a program started in your community. Get online. Take a look online and see about the, getting the signatures for that. You could uh, plug into a beginning program in your community by serving on a board or teaching, by volunteering. You can make a one-time gift or a monthly financial pledge to help with a program. and Or you could pursue your church being a location for a LifeWise. Lima First just opened their doors, and I believe they're ministering to a, a middle school. Um, that's what they started with, but uh, they're loving it. I mean, it, it is great. And definitely pray. Definitely pray for this ministry because... Um, it's growing, and it's a very practical way that, that we can reach into our communities. So check out the website, lifewise.org. Great info, great videos. Just kind of educate yourself a little bit about it and see what the Lord speaks to your heart. Excellent. Thanks, Barb. Excellent. You wrap it up. So here's what this group, here's what our gathering is about. I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask questions. We've defined what neighborliness is, loving our neighbor, right? Great commandment, great commission. Who is our neighbor? Person next door, people that are different than us, people that are in great need. Tom said, you said, where do we start? Tom said, just start connecting. But then there's big issues, points of pain in our, in our cities, and one is the public school system. And so we need you a tool that you can do. There's another tool called Dinner Church. Pastor Carl's here. You can talk to him about it. I will field questions right now. If anybody has any questions that you want to ask while the group's here, if not, we'll answer your question right afterwards. But are there any questions you guys have? Yes. They pay the teachers. So they do they raise the funds to pay the teachers. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Pretty powerful program here. Listen, did you just see like we can bring the Bible to public schools on a regular basis and let the kids be the witnesses. That's what I'm saying. We can't be disconnected from the challenges. We've got to get right in the center of them. Amen? Any other questions before we pray? If not, you can come talk to Tom, Barb, myself. We have some LifeWise literature at our table as well as dinner church right back here. It may go quickly because people have been grabbing stuff. So. Church multiplication team. All right. You guys good? Father God, I just pray in Jesus' name. 
every person in this room and every church represented would become a love letter to their city. I pray that we would be the message of radical sacrificial love and that, Lord, we would begin to grab a hold of the gospel and live it out everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.